Uh, I, hope, I hope you've had a good walk with God this week, uh, knowing that God isn't just in this place, but He lives inside of us. And, and uh, we're focusing this morning on experiencing God, and uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Uh, it was, I was thinking back this week as preparing for this morning, and it wasn't until my third year of college, so I, I was technically a junior, but I was on the five-and-a-half-year program, so... Um, I don't know what that made me, like a second-year sophomore, maybe. Um, but anyway, I, I just transferred to Southwest Baptist University after spending two years at a Western Illinois University. And um, I was finally in a place where I wanted to seek after God. Um, God had finally become something more than just Sunday morning. He had become something more than something I heard my dad preach about on Sundays. Uh, He was more than Sunday school or or activities maybe I associated with him. I wanted to experience God in ways that when I looked out and saw other people experiencing God, I wanted that. I wanted to know God in ways that they knew him and and the way they talked about him uh, as if he was right there with them throughout their day. Because I admit, uh, up to that point, man, God God was Sunday morning. God was uh, dressing up and looking a certain part and standing when I was supposed to stand and sit when I was supposed to sit and, and uh, shake hands and welcome when someone said, why don't you shake the hands next to you and uh, pass the offering. That was God uh, up until about my junior year of college. And so I would have been um, 20, 19, going on 20 maybe. But um, I'm thankful because in that moment where I had that desire to seek after him and wanting to experience him in a real way that, that God interceded. And God began placing people in my life to help me in that pursuit. And some things I've learned from them that I still learn today is that, you know, to, to want to go to church because I want to go to church. Not because I think that's what people expect of me or what um, I should do, but because I want to go and be in God's presence. I want to go and be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to sing songs that um, maybe I don't know, but I want to be there. I want to be there when God just drops on his people, you know, because we gather in the promise that we're two or more are gathered in his name. His presence is here. And so this isn't a place where you just find a place to sit. This is a place where we gather. We get to experience God every time we gather in this place. But I knew God wasn't contained to the walls of the church. And that took some learning over time that, you know, God isn't just here. God is in all of his creation and we can experience God at any time in any place. And so I began learning that in order to experience God, I needed to be in God's word personally. I needed to have not just someone preaching or teaching the word of God to me. I needed not just to be in books that talked about the word of God. I needed to be in his word, reading it and 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 being ready to hear from God and to write down notes and questions. I needed to be in small groups with people. It wasn't just enough to be in large gatherings at churches, um, but I needed to be with small groups of people so we could digest the Word of God together. And then as I began in seeking God and learning what other people were doing, I learned that not only do I need to be at church and in small groups and in God's Word, I needed to be involved. It is amazing to me that so many people want to experience God, and the one thing that's keeping them from experiencing God is being involved in God's ministry. 
being involved in God's kingdom. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, the best way to do that is get plugged in. And we always have that fear, well, I don't know enough or I can't do enough or whatever. And that's exactly the attitude we need because when we say I can't, we have to step in and allow God who can. And people who have stepped in and to lead small groups, whether it's kids, youth, or adults, I always hear the same testimony over and over again. I feel like I learn more than what I teach. Because they, they're, they're understanding everything that's going into this. I've got to be prepared to present the Word of God to whoever I'm presenting it to in such a way that they can understand it the way I've learned to understand it. And, and just this experience of God, that God, God wants us to experience Him. He's not a God that's out there in the cosmos or out there in some milky way that's not ours. He's not out there where you know, only satellites and, and pictures into space can capture him. God is in all of his creation, and God, the Almighty God, creator of heavens and earth, wants us to experience him and experience his presence. When I understood that, it just totally blew my mind and my conceptions of church and my relationship with God. And I'm so thankful that God put an individual by the name of Dr. Frost, he was one of my instructors at SBU, into my life because Dr. Frost saw this desire I had, saw that even though I had grown up in church, I mean, I was basically born in church as a pastor's kid, right? But he saw that even though I had all this church experience, I was finally at a place where I wanted to seek after God and experience God personally. And so he introduced me to this Bible study called Experiencing God. And since I, I've titled this sermon Experiencing God, I, I, I want you to be aware that there is another Bible study out there called that, so I'm not ripping it from that. I'm not going to take Henry Blackaby or Claude King's ideas from that book. Um, but who here is familiar with the Bible study experience of God or has done it or it, you, I've at least heard of it. Maybe that. Maybe you saw it at a bookstore like, oh, that's interesting and then walked on by. Um, I, I, would, I would recommend that Bible study. Uh, now, there's a Bible study format. There's a book format. I would recommend it. Um, if you're looking to know what to do next, um, when Jamie and I first started dating, we did experiencing God together. I don't, did we ever complete that? Nope. Uh, but but things worked out in the end, didn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I would recommend, you know, if you're in a small group or thinking about maybe, I think God's leading me a small group. Maybe that's a study you can turn to um, because it's just about experiencing God in our life and not keeping God within the walls of the church or the walls of what maybe some people think where God works. I do want to read a passage from that book, and the book is written by Henry Blackaby and Claude King, if you're, if you're interested. But uh, it's going to be up here on the screen, Ethan, if you want to throw it up there. And they wrote in the opening statements of this book, you will never, you will never, never, never be satisfied just to know about God. Really knowing God only comes through experience as He reveals Himself to you. And when we come to know God as we ex we come to know God as we experience him and God reveals himself to us through our experience of him at work in our lives. And again this was revolutionary to me because at this point in my life God was about going to church. God was about trying to be a good person. And I'm not even going to say trying to be a good Christian, 
I'm just saying God was about trying to be a good person. Just do the things that you, you think Christians should do and don't do the things you think Christians shouldn't do. And so I put God in this little box about what I could do instead of what God could do. And I began to finding this is what a good Christian looks like and does rather than what God's Word says a good Christian does and looks like. And as I began experiencing God, my relationship with Him began to expound and I began to grow in deeper levels. We know this. We know that God saved us because God loves us. And God saved us before we even knew we needed saving. Just think about that for a second. God saved you before you even knew you were a sinner and were in need of His salvation. And we know that God loves us. And we read through His Word and we, we can see how God wants to be a part of our life. He wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. There's nothing we can compartmentalize from God. Everything about us is known to him, and he wants to be involved in that and wants us to experience him in every aspect of life, whether that's sports or hobbies or things, your extracurricular activities or crafts, whatever. God wants to be involved in that, and he wants us to experience him as we live out this life. The passage we're looking at this morning is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It is frequently thought of as a Christmas passage. And I'm sure you've read this at Christmas time or you've heard this passage preached at at Christmas time. We need to understand Luke did not write this passage like, oh, this is going to make a great Christmas story. The original writers of the gospel, Christmas wasn't even a thought. It wasn't even something on their, on their plans. They were simply telling the story of Jesus. Matter of fact, most of the gospels deal very little with the actual birth of Jesus Christ. Only Luke and Matthew deal with it and they both deal with it in different ways. And so when Luke is writing this, he isn't trying to tell us the story of Christmas. He's trying to help us understand who Jesus is. And we can see in this passage how we can experience God through the tools that God is wanting to use and is using all the time so we might experience his presence every single day. We can see in this passage how we should respond to when we experience, experience God and we also see in this passage the types of people who get to experience God. And so let's read it, and we're going to see all these things within this passage that we sometimes just block in or wall in as the Christmas story. Beginning in verse 8 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And the word of the Lord says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered 
at what their shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you for this day that you've set aside for us, Lord, that you want us to experience you. You want us to hear you speaking to our hearts. You don't want a preacher to speak to our hearts. Father, your spirit wants to speak to us. You want to invade us, maybe even interrupt us. Father, I pray that you have your will not only with me, but with all my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. I pray for those who are here this morning who do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior. They've heard of you. They may even know a lot about you, but they don't know you as their God. That your spirit would reveal that to them as we walk through your word. That you would lead us to a place of conviction and repentance and places we need to be transformed by you. Forgive me where I failed you. And don't let me get in your way, but Lord, let me, only me be the instrument of your righteousness in this moment. So open your passage, open your word as you did to your disciples by the power of your spirit. Let it become living and active in our life and let it get into the deepest parts of where it needs to go. And pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So within this passage, so we're going to break it out of the Christmas narrative, all right? Within this passage, there are tools that we can learn how we experience God. There are reactions to the experiences of God that we can have. And then there are, we learn the type of people who get to experience God. What we see in this passage is that throughout our life, God is wanting to reveal himself. He is wanting to reveal his truth, his righteousness, his faith, his love. He's wanting to reveal that he is, in fact, a real God who wants to be involved with us. He doesn't want to be an idea out there, something we can debate about. He wants to be actively involved in our life. That's why he saved us. That's why he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if he's never going to leave us or forsake us, that means he wants to be right here in this moment. And so what does God use in order that we might experience him? Well, the first thing we learn from this passage in experiencing God, one of the tools he uses is everyday life. Look in verse, verse 8. It says, in the same region, that's the region of Bethlehem, or Luke is connecting this to what we looked at last week. He says, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. There is nothing abnormal about verse 8 in Luke chapter 2. Guess what shepherds were doing? What were they doing? Watching sheep. What do we know shepherds to do? Watch sheep. There was nothing abnormal about this particular verse. You read this verse in any other context, like, well, that's not really anything I really feel like I need to know. But what we see as as the shepherds were going about their everyday life, as they were laying out in the fields, listening to the soothing sounds of sheep buying, they experienced the presence of God. They were in the midst of the everyday. And I think sometimes we think we need a big theatrical performance. Sometimes we need a big production by a worship band. Sometimes we need a pastor who hips and hops and skips around the stage. Or he can walk away from his notes and he can talk like he's memorized it the entire time. We don't need that to experience God. 
God wants to be involved in your everyday life. And as the shepherds were out in the fields by night watching the flock, they're in the midst of the mundane. They were interrupted by the majesty of God. We are blessed by a God who wants to interrupt our mundane everyday lives by his majesty. He wants to get our attention. He wants to, us to experience him, to understand that he is a heavenly father, not like a father we know a lot of in this world who may be out there and, and not around or just vacant. He's a heavenly father who wants to be involved in his children's lives in every aspect of your life. The shepherds were out in the flock watching their sheep and a Savior was born. A shepherd's life was typically lonely. They were constantly out in the elements, out in the fields. They were nomadic people, not very trustworthy within this society. And this makes sense when Jesus says in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. It's based upon the idea of a shepherd. You see, a shepherd would typically be alone, but they'd have a flock of sheep, and sometimes those sheep would belong to them, but most of the times they would belong to someone else. They were kind of a shepherd for hire. And so they would go about in pastures, and sometimes they would run in with other shepherds, which is what is happening here. And those shepherds would gather together with all those sheep, but they wouldn't put them in a pen or behind a fence. See, when a shepherd felt it was time to move on, all they would do is they would call something out to their sheep, and the sheep that belonged to that shepherd knew the shepherd's voice. They knew what he sounded like. They knew the sound of his tone. They knew that special word which he called out. And all the sheep without the shepherd having to go out with his staff and rally him up, all the sheep would come to the shepherd and follow him to where they needed to be. And so Jesus is using this analogy when he says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd hear my voice and they know my voice. When I call out to them, they immediately respond. I don't have to gather them up because they know me and they follow me. And the reason the sheep knew the shepherd's voice is because since a shepherd was out in the fields a lot by himself, all he had to talk to were what? Sheep. Do any of you ever talk to yourself? Listen, we all got a little bit crazy in us, all right? If, we, if you ever found yourself talking to yourself, even if you're like ridiculing yourself, oh, you're so stupid, you know, you understand the life of a shepherd. Anybody talk to your pets as if they fully understand what you're saying? Yeah, we do that with ours. We'll be right back. Don't you worry. You, know, you be good. You watch the house. Like, like, they're just like, okay, I'm going to lay down. I mean, that's all I'm going to do. But if you talk to pets, your pets, or you maybe talk to someone else's pets, as if they fully understand the conversation you're having with them, you understand the life of a shepherd. A shepherd's life was spent a lot of times alone, talking to a sheep as if they were carrying on a conversation with him. So when he called out to the sheep, the sheep would fully understand his voice, know his voice, and would follow him. See, God invaded the mundane of the shepherd's life with his majesty. And what that tells us in our everyday life, where we find ourselves working this week or being this week or doing this week, in every aspect of our life, God places us exactly where he needs us to be so we might experience him. 
everywhere you're going to go this week is, is an opportunity so you might experience the one true God. But a lot of times we get so blinded or so frustrated or so annoyed or aggravated, we don't see Him. I love it when, when we go on hikes or walks, and especially last night, we were, Jamie and I went out for a walk, and just God's glory was in the air, and it was just it was so beautiful as the sun was setting. The problem is, even though God wants to, us to experience Him in everyday life, we're a lot like the shepherds in this passage, and we're a lot like sheep. Matter of fact, Jesus says we are sheep. And the only thing much about sheep, sheep can be stubborn. And so what God does in order to grab our attention a little bit more, another tool God uses is his glory. Look in verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And notice it was not the angel's glory. Whose glory was it? It was the Lord's. And notice, thank God, that God's glory in this moment wasn't the entire heavenly host at first. It only took one angel to make the shepherds terrified. Can you imagine you sent the whole host at once? The glory of the Lord, it means in Scripture, is the manifestation of God's presence among His people. But at times we can be a lot more like the sheep than the shepherd and that we're too stubborn to see or hear or do what we should do. And because of this, what God does is he manifests his glory in our lives so we might experience his presence. It's not to say, oh, that's pretty. It's so that we might experience the presence of God. It may be pretty. But I have found in my life, I have experienced the presence of God on mountaintops, on the shores at a beach, when I'm sitting in a car at the park. Most recently when our family has gone for hikes and just looking around and seeing all that God has created and be like, ah, oh, the God who created all this knows me. He wants me. He lives inside me. He wants to be involved with me. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Perhaps we miss the everyday experiences of God. It's because we fail to miss the glory of God that's all around us. Are we looking for God's glory and to experience God every day of our life? As we go out and just see He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created me in His image and likeness. And he wants me to experience him. But the shepherds, they had an angel show up. But the angel showed up because the shepherds needed to know what was going on in the town right next to them. They had no clue that there was a Savior being born in Bethlehem. So the shepherd had to come and say, hey, this is what's going on. And I think sometimes we miss the experience of God because we become so overwhelmed by all that is going on around us that we fail to experience what God is trying to do right in front of us. They were in the region that Jesus Christ was born. Mark Batterson writes in a book that when our lives get loud with noise filling every frequency, we lose our sense of being. We risk of turning into human doings rather than human beings. And so silence is anything but passive waiting. It is proactive listening. If you want to hear the heart of God, silence is the key. 
And listening doesn't happen by default. It happens by design. You have to seek solitude, seek silence. You have to ruthlessly eliminate distractions and you have to turn some voices down and, tune, and some tune out altogether. Perhaps if we're not experiencing God, it's because we're not making room in our lives to experience it. How many of y'all had a busy week? I remember, I talked about it last week, but our calendars are filling back up rather quickly. we got to make time to experience the God who wants us to experience His presence. It's all around us. Another tool God uses, we see in verses 11 through 12, is His spoken word. The angel didn't show up to his shepherds to announce something of his own, but rather to speak God's truth found in God's word. Everything in verse 11 through 12 to which the angel speaks is what God has already spoken. It was God's spoken word which invaded the shepherds' lives so they might experience God's presence. We have this belief, this understanding, we should have this conviction that everything in this book that is exciting and sometimes mundane All of it is from the mouth of God. It is spoken from Him and is recorded for us that we might experience His voice speaking into our hearts. So if we want to experience God, if we're struggling to experience God, then we got to turn to God's Word. The next tool God uses is worship. After the angel announced the good news of what was happening in Bethlehem, the sky erupted in verse 13 as a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what was the heavenly host doing in verse 13? Praising God. A lot of times, I don't always feel like worship. And it's not because of the music, it's not because of that. It's just because I, I can be tempted to have this sinful, corrupt view of what worship is. I think we all can be tempted to that. Sometimes we can think worship is because I feel happy. Or I feel ready to sing this song. Or because I even know this song. But a lot of times scripture says sing to the Lord a new song. So it's not necessarily that I have to know the song. Or even that I have to relate to the song. It's all about my heart. And where my heart is with God. If you read through the Psalms. And, and we've been, I've been doing a Psalm devotional uh, throughout the summer. But if you read through the Psalms, the majority of the Psalms, and the Psalm is referred to as a hymn book of the Bible. If you don't know hymn, a worship book of the Bible. And in the Psalms, the majority of them are laments. A lament Psalm is a Psalm in which the individual is crying out to God in distress. The majority of the worship book of the Bible is a, are psalms of individuals crying out to God because there's some sort of situation in their life which they do not understand. There's some sort of chaos going on which they cannot control. And so they're crying out to God to do something. And in the midst of crying out to God, they come to this understanding that God is faithful. And God is good. And God is someone I can trust. And so even though I don't understand what's going on, I know that he does and he's got this. They didn't celebrate God for the chaos, but they celebrate God that he was in the midst of the chaos. And don't we need that this year in this time of life? God is in the midst of the chaos. And because he's in the midst of the chaos, and even though I don't understand it, even though I have questions, even though I get frustrated, even though I want to go and slap some people in the faces, you know, right hand of fellowship, I think that's biblical, right? God is in the midst of this somehow. 
Because God is faithful and because God is good and because God is working all things out for his will and his good pleasure, he's worthy of my worship. And so I don't have to feel because worship isn't a feeling. I simply tune my heart to sing his praise. And I worship him because he is good. And in the midst of the worship, I get to experience his presence. Another tool we see God using in this passage that we might experience is people. Once the shepherds were told the good news, they immediately understood that this wasn't something they should keep to themselves in the field. Instead, they went with haste. They hurried to Bethlehem. They shared with Mary and Joseph the news that was just told to them. They shared with the owners of the manger what God had just revealed to them. So when we experience God, it is meant that we share it with people. Guess what I just saw? And we have a great, way, great tool of using that in Facebook and Instagram and any other thing we have on the website so we can put out there and we can speak of God's glory and how we experience His presence simply by looking for it. We're called to share our experiences. God also uses mysteries. Verse 19 says, Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. The reading implies that Mary understood the child, Jesus' divine being, She understood part of his destiny, but at the same time, she didn't know exactly what that all entailed. And so she pondered these things in her heart. She was the mother of the Son of God, and yet she was not able to fully understand all the meaning. There are some things in God's Word which we will not understand. Amen? How's Revelation going? (laughs) There are some things in God's Word which we will not understand. And there are going to be multiple interpretations of those things. There are going to be things in God's world. Let's remember, this is God's world. He owns this world. And there are things in God's world which we will not understand. And if you think you got it all understood... Then here's my challenge to you. I want you to lead a Bible study on the latter half of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, or the book of Revelation without any commentary help. There are things we will not understand on this side of eternity. There are things we will be left scratching our head, but it's the mysteries that remind us that we, the things we even know about God, there's so much more we can know about Him. There are still mysteries yet to be revealed. One of the greatest mysteries that have been revealed to us, and maybe to you this morning, is the mystery of our salvation. Why would a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful want to save a sinner like me? But when we get that understanding, that's the mystery of God that has been revealed for our salvation. And there's even deeper mysteries. And God uses mysteries to remind us, you know what? I'm not all-knowing. And I don't have it all together. But He does. I'm going to worship him and experience his glory in the midst of this. The word shown here, when the angel's shown up, sorry, (laughs) jumped. The final thing we see is the tool God uses is God's faithfulness. Verse 20, the shepherds returned. They returned back to their everyday life, back to the fields, back to the sheep, back to the mundane. But as they returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. The 
The shepherds were worshiping and praising God because what God spoke over them through the angel, they came to understand as truth. What seemed inconceivable, they came to realize what God was doing in Bethlehem was revealing God's faithfulness that he had spoken thousands of years before this very night. So one tool that God uses in our life that we might experience is the tool of his faithfulness. Anybody ever here ever worry? Get so focused on one thing you kind of become oblivious to everything else? I do that all the time and Jamie has to try to bring me back down to earth, but I'm a stubborn husband and father. But I found every single time it works out and every single time God reminds me he's faithful. A lot of times it's not the plan or the way I thought it would work out. But God is faithful. And in his faithfulness, when we see his faithfulness, it's so that we experience his glory. What are the, the tools? Or those are the tools. What, what are the reactions? What, what should we do when God leads us to experience? And we see this in this text as well. We're going to go back to the beginning. Don't worry, it's not message two. <laughs> when we experience God, we should have a heart of fear. That's a reaction we should have and experience in God. Verse 9 says, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The text means they were terrified, and who wouldn't be? I mean, can you imagine if you're just kind of hanging out at night, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord shone around you? That word shone is the same word that Luke uses in the book of Acts when Jesus came and appeared before the apostle Paul, or Saul, who became the apostle Paul, and knocked him down and blinded him. The glory of the Lord shone around him. Just imagine you're going about your day and God's glory, boom, comes in your life. Anybody here not been like interrupted by a loud bang of thunder and almost wet yourself in that moment? And that compares nothing to the glory of the Lord shining around the shepherds in this moment. He, he invaded their life and when he invaded, they had such fear, they were terrified about what they were seeing. Yet God in his mercy doesn't send the whole heavenly host, just one angel, Another word for fear in the Bible is holy reverence. And, and we see throughout Scripture, when people encounter the presence of God, when they experience Him in their life, they have this holy reverence. When the prophet Isaiah saw the presence of God, he was moved to a place of reverential fear because he understood God's holiness and His sinfulness. When the apostle John by the way, who walked with Jesus physically, had a vision of God in the book of Revelation in God's presence. It says that he fell at his, feet, at his face as though dead. When Moses experienced the presence of God at the burning bush, he hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. When the individuals came to arrest Jesus Christ on the night he was to be arrested and crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they came to him and Jesus announced, I am the one, the Bible says they drew back and they fell to the ground. See, when we experience God, it should bring this holy reverential fear, this awe, this understanding that you are holy, you are God, I am a sinful man and I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve this experience. But because your compassion and your mercy and your grace, you're allowing me to have it. Jonathan Edwards, one of his famous sermons is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached this. He says, were it not for the sovereign 
pleasure of God, the earth would not bear you one moment. For you are a burden to it. The creation groans with you. The creature is made subject to bondage of your corruption. Not willingly, the sun does not willingly shine upon you to give you light to serve sin and Satan. The earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lust, nor is it willingly a stage for your wickedness to act upon. The air does not willingly serve you for your breath to maintain the flame of life in your vitals while you spend your life in the service of God's enemies. All of the things that give us life, all the things that allow us to experience God are because of God's good grace and pleasure which are upon us. That, that phrase there in verse 14, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, that isn't implying that they've worked to earn God's pleasure is that God's pleasure had been given to them by grace as a gift. All of our experiences with God are not because we deserved it or we did enough church things or enough good Christian things to actually deserve that experience. It's simply because the God of the heavens, the sovereign God, has graced us with it. And so when we experience God, a reaction we have is should be fear. God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve you to speak to my heart right now knowing the things I wrestle with. I don't deserve to hear your voice speaking to me in this moment knowing the things I also listen to. When we experience God, we are also to take action. See that in verse 16. The angels, the angels told the shepherds they understood that they could not stay where they were and so they went with haste, meaning they hurried. And so when we experience God, and I hope we experience God every time we gather in His place, it isn't so we can walk out and say, wow, that was really good. Oh man, that was an awesome message. Or pastor, you really stepped on my toes. Believe me, I appreciate compliments. It, it makes me feel good. But when we experience God speaking to our hearts, it is because God is calling us to action. No one in Scripture who experienced God's presence stayed where they were. Abraham moved, Moses moved, King Saul moved, David moved, the prophets moved, the disciples moved, the Apostle Paul moved, because experiencing God has moved us into action for God. We hit on this next thing, the next response already, but when we experience God, we're to share it. It says, and they saw it, they saw what God had told them, that being the shepherds. It isn't saying that Jesus is it. <laughs> Don't read that passage saying when they saw it, they called Jesus it. When they saw what the angel had spoken to them, the sign that he said they would see, that's the it. They made known. They spread the word. They reported the message or the saying that had been told to them concerning this child in verse 17. I've had experiences in my life which have been for my own personal benefit at that moment. I think we all have. There's been times we've cried out to God and God has spoken to us very specifically in that moment and we've experienced him. But as believers and individuals who experience God, we are never to hoard those experiences. It may have been for me in that precise moment, but I found those moments have been things I've been able to use to share with other people in the experiences I've had. And some of those experiences have been very hard and very difficult and have been those valleys that feel like the shadow of death. But I'm to share them with others so other people can know that in the midst of what they're going through, God is still faithful. He is still in the midst of that. And so I share it with them. Another thing we see in verse 18, when we experience God, we are to be amazed. And to be amazed is different than fear. It says, all who heard it, 
what the shepherds shared at that moment. They wondered. That word wondered means to be amazed at what the shepherds told him. This news was unbelievable. This poverty-stricken couple who showed up in Bethlehem, who had no family to stay with and had to stay in the manger in a, in a food trough where their baby was born, this couple was going to be the earthly parents to God's son, the Messiah. And our experience with God should amaze us. Here's what the psalmist says in verse 8. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, what is that? That's the glory of God. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. See, the psalmist understood that God does not need to be God simply because we recognize him as God. He is always God. And God's authority and his glory are always on full display. Yet God in his mercy and compassion is aware of us, even though we are the son of man. That's what he calls himself. That phrase son of man means that we are sons of Adam. We are sons of sin. We are naturally enemies to a holy God. Yet God in his rich mercy and grace looks at his compassion. We don't deserve it, so we should be amazed at the fact that he does. He graces us with his word and his presence and his grace. And he does it every day. Not because he has to, because he wants to, and he wants that relationship with us. A lot of these reactions to God are outward experiences, and, and some of us here are not outward people. You know, we, we, we tend to reflect on things. And I praise the Lord that the Bible doesn't reveal there's only one way we can experience God and show that we've experienced God. Did you know the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you don't have to speak in tongues? Do you know that's not a sign of your salvation? Did you know the Bible never says that when you become a Christian, you automatically become slain by the Spirit and fall to the ground convulsing? The Bible never says that either. The Bible never says there's one way which we experience God. That list of the way God, the tools God uses wasn't exhaustive. The Bible never says there's a one reaction to when we experience God. The people were amazed. The shepherds had fear. They went to share. There was worshiping going on. But did you see what Mary was doing? Mary, the mother of Jesus, was pondering these things in her heart. Sometimes when we experience God, we need to meditate on them. That's what Mary was doing. She was meditating. She was pondering. The word means to think on something over and over again. It's to digest it. Is try to fully comprehend what is going on. It's to allow it to get into our hearts and our minds and allow it to sink in. Mary most likely didn't understand everything the shepherds were t- telling her. She most likely didn't understand the full scope of its meaning. She'd already experienced God through Gabriel's announcement. But Mary reveals there isn't a one-size-fits-all at how we respond to God when we experience Him. Some of y'all text people, some of y'all take pictures, some of y'all call people, some of y'all just go to somebody's houses, even though you're not supposed to do that right now. Some of y'all, when you experience God, you follow Mary and you just sit back and just take it in. And you may share that with other people later, but then in that moment, your response to God is just being on and ponder and think over it over and over again and let it take root. Finally, when we experience God, we are to worship. 
That's what the shepherds did. The shepherds experienced God in their everyday life. Through God's spoken word, they had great fear. They took action. They shared it with others. They joined in the amazement, and then they worshiped. And when we experience God, we should always be moved to a place of worship. Yes, worship is a tool to which God uses that we might experience Him, but worship is also a reaction that we have experienced God. That's why on Sunday mornings, our worship isn't about what the worship team plays. Our worship is set out by how you've been experiencing God throughout the week. You enter this place either with a heart for worship or a heart that you want to be worshipped. And a lot of churches wrestle with that because they make worship about the people rather than about the one who sits on the throne. But if we've experienced God all week, then when I come in this place, I enter into his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and I want to worship him for all the experiences I've had with him. And I may share those with people through testimony. And I can worship God in a moment when God speaks to me and brings me to conviction and repentance by his spirit because I know what the word of God says, that God is taking me to a place to be a living sacrifice, which is my spiritual worship. One final thing I want us to see in this passage is who can experience God. And I promise this is going to be really short. Who can experience God? The involved, the unaware, the outcast can all experience God. Mary and Joseph, which one do you think they were? Yeah, I'd say they're pretty involved. <laughs> Hey, you're going to have my kid. <laughs> you're going to be the father to my kid. They're involved. They're in. Okay? They may not fully understand everything, but they're involved. I imagine the people who own the manger were kind of unaware. You mean to tell me the Messiah was just born in my horse trough? If I would have known that was the Messiah, I would have allowed him to stay in the guest room. I would put the people in the guest room in the manger. They were unaware. But what did they get to do? They got to also experience God. All who heard were amazed. Well, who are the outcasts? Shepherds. Shepherds were outcasts of society. So that's why it's so strange that the very first people that God declares outside of Mary and Joseph that his, his son has been born in Bethlehem were shepherds. Shepherds were typically referred to in this day and age as bandits and thieves. They lived a nomadic lifestyle which did not allow them to be witnesses in courts. And yet they experienced God and they were the first people to proclaim to others who were unaware and involved what God had spoken to them as the first witnesses of the birth of Christ. See, I used to think that I had to be at a certain level of Christianity before I could experience God every day in my life. I used to think, man, I better be in church every day. The church doors are open. I better be in my word. I better be singing songs. I better only listen to Christian music and only be reading Christian books and only watching Christian movies. And this was before Christian movies and books and all that stuff was even good. I mean, you had like, sorry if you're a Sandy Patty fan, but that's like who you had. You had Sandy Patty, all right? <laughs> DC Talk was, was you know, kind of coming out, but they were still kind of corny at the moment. I used to think I, that's what I had to do, but that's the thing. Experiencing God isn't about what I have to do. It's what God wants to do in me. 
And so I may be fully involved in my relationship with God. I may be fully unaware of what God is wanting to do. I may feel like I'm an outcast, like I'm a backslider in my relationship with God. But every single individual in this passage gets invited to experience God's presence. So it does not matter where you are, God calls out to you to experience Him. Isn't that an amazing grace we just sang about? That's why He's worthy. That's why he's worthy of our attention and worthy of our affection. That's why we come to these altars, because we've experienced him. We've all been made in God's image to experience him. And everything about us points to being made in the image of God. Your rationale, your creativity, your awareness, your ability, your longing for relationships, your longing for acceptance, your desire to be loved, your understanding of that's right and that's wrong, that's all because... God has put that in you and made you in his image. And you may be here today and are experiencing God for the first time and need to respond to his presence. He's revealed a mystery to you that you're lost. You see, Jesus wasn't born just so people could worship and be amazed and ponder on it. Jesus was born to die on a cross so we could be saved from our sin. This is the gospel. God created you for a relationship with him. And our sins separate us from the God who loves us and wants us to experience him. He doesn't want us to try to do all these things to prove ourselves to him. He wants us to understand that he's already done everything so we might be saved through Jesus Christ. Jesus died a death on the cross after living a perfect life and rose from the grave three days later and the Bible says, when I believe that God did that for me in my heart and I confess it with my mouth, I will be, get, I will be saved and be given eternal life. And maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to experience God in that way. You've heard about him like I did. You knew about him, but you've yet to experience God as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask Nick and Bridget to come and lead us. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want God in my life. But maybe you've already made that decision. You've been like me and sometimes you become distracted and you just need to come and kneel before the Father and say, I'm sorry. I've been kind of tuning you out and tuning everything else in. But I want to experience you every day because I know you're with me every day. We're going to come this time of invitation. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song. But if you're feeling led by the Spirit to move, I'm going to invite you to come. You may not need to talk to me. You may just need to kneel before the Father. But you may need to come say, I need to know how to be saved. That's what I'm going to be down here for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you for allowing us to experience you this morning. Not because a message was preached or a song was sung, but because you were here. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't here, whatever reason that may be, but Lord, that they missed experiencing you in this special way when we gather with our brothers and sisters to form your body. Pray that they experience you in wherever surrounding they find themselves, that your word would speak to their hearts, that they would have a longing and desire to be back in your presence with their brothers and sisters in Christ. But thank you for your mercy and your grace for allowing us to even be in your holiness. The scripture says, holy, holy, holy are you, God. You're worthy of all honor and power and glory. So we come this time of invitation, Lord, let that be what 
is shown by our response to your word. Continue to work by the power of your spirit. Praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.